Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have with me today Tracy Jones, who is a person that I connected with through the C-Suite Network. She has an unusual background and is the daughter of a man who is well-known in the public speaking world, which his name is Charlie Tremendous Jones, and we'll get into a little bit as we talk about where that nickname came from. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. It's tremendous to be here. So let's talk about that tremendous word. I knew of your father when I entered the National Speakers Association. Unfortunately, I entered it in the last year of his life. And people always would refer at the annual conferences to Charlie Tremendous Jones. Where does that tremendous nickname come from? Well, my father would always say, my father flunked out of school in the eighth grade. So he had a very limited formal education. So he always said that when he'd meet people because of his lacking vocabulary, of course, that was back in the old days before he read hundreds of thousands of books. Um, he would just say whenever somebody would come up to him and say something like, uh, Charlie, we just bought a home. Tremendous. Charlie, uh, we just uh, sold a million dollar life insurance policy. Tremendous. Charlie, my mother-in-law just passed away. Tremendous. You know, he always had the mother-in-law jokes. And he always said, whatever words you choose to use, make sure it's a good one because it's probably going to stick. So then he wrote Life is Tremendous, which came out in 1967 by Tyndall Publishers and has never gone out of print since then. So mm -hmm. that really became his, his mantra, you know, that life, life is tremendous and the enthusiasm makes a difference. So um, Tremendous just became part of the legacy. The little kicking man that you see became part of our iconic uh, visual of the brand. And it just is an exuberance, a resiliency that no matter matter what comes your way, you can overcome. Let's pause for a second and absorb the fact that a book that came out in 1967 has never gone out of print. That fact, you just kind of slipped right in there. But I want to make sure that our listener got that. How does that happen? Well, they call them the seminal thinkers. And that means you've got legs 50 years or longer. This is the Aristotles. This is the Plato's. This is, you know, the greats from before, the timeless truths that, that are still in our canon of knowledge. And that means that, and I just talked to Tyndall last month, that there is still demand for the book. And it's never gone out of print. And they told me we just had another order. Now, of course, part of that is because, you know, his legacy is st so far reaching, but because we are also still pouring out to people his, his love. He was a, a bibliophile of epic proportions. He was a book pusher. He adored books. Books were the answer to everything that ailed you. So we really continue to push that legacy out there and encourage people and introduce a whole new generation of people to him. And that really keeps keeps that existing body of knowledge him at the forefront. Amazing. Thanks, Pat. 
And it is very unusual uh, for people not to go out to print. We have other, we're a publisher and a book distributor too. And I have people call up looking for, you know, great authors. And it's like, oh gosh, it went out of print. Not that it can't be resurrected because once it gets into the public domain phase, but I, I'm quite, I'm quite thankful and proud that, it, that his uh, book has never gone out of print. Now, were you always involved in publishing? No, I came back to publishing. Actually, this Friday will be the 12 year anniversary of my father's home going. And so before that, I was in the military. I was in defense contracting. I was in the semiconductor world, uh, an engineer by train, a project manager. I worked on fighter jets. And it wasn't until my father passed away that I actually came back into the wonderful world, creative world of entrepreneurship and uh, kind of boutique uh, publishing in the personal development world. So um, I went from very process oriented, bureaucratic, big organizations to the beautiful creative space of small business, which is the backbone of our economy and getting to really uh, change the world, not through products uh, or defending our rights as I did before, but through the transform transformative power of books. So it was an incredible um, switch. And I got to um, turn on the left side of my, the right side of my brain as, as I dialed into that side. And uh, no, just, just, just learned it. But you know, Pat, with publishing, um, it, I always say that publishing a book is uh, poetry and plumbing. Okay. So you turn the creative juices on and you let the muse happen and you have these beautiful things happen, but you also have to have pipes <laughs> that literally get that product out to people. So I enjoyed bringing my structural side, my engineer side, my project management project manager side to the whole creative process of getting a great book out there, getting it launched and um, logistics, all that, all that, um, all the resources you need to bring your dream message out to people. Um, but also to really be in the world 24 seven of great people with great thoughts that want to, that have a message they want to get out there. It's just been the best job of all. Hmm. And you've certainly had some unusual jobs that are completely different than publishing, but prepared you for the business of publishing because of all those factors that you just identified. You have to have budgets. You have to have that project seeing its way through. You have to focus on the marketing piece. Did this company exist before you got involved in it? It did. The company is actually born in 1965. So coming back, I also, in the back of my mind, was was aware of the mortality rate of second generation businesses. It's about 60%. But being resilient and enthusiasm makes a difference. I'm like, if that is how it goes, that's how it goes. But I'm going to give it my best. And um, so, no, my father had started the company back in 65. He was a life insurance salesman. And when he left the life insurance field after becoming incredibly successful, and that's a story in its, of itself of how he transitioned into full-time speaker, writer, publisher, and lover of all things books. Um, uh, you know, he started that company in 1965 to share what he had learn as a father and as a businessman and as a Christian with other organizations. So um, it was kind of born out of necessity and it just really matched his gifting and his personality. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever watched any of his stuff, you understand why. Was he alive at the time that you became involved in the publishing company or, or was that after his death? Two days before he passed, I sat down and I talk about it in the book, 
briefly, I came back and I said, hey, I'm going to come back um, and, and take over the reins of the company. And he squeezed my hand and he said, I know you'll take it places I never could have. Pat, that was our succession planning. Um, and then I didn't actually come back because I had to go back to my old job and, and wrap things up on the project I was on. So actually, I didn't come back until actually three months after he had passed. So that's when I came back. I will say this for, for the listeners looking at uh, second generation businesses too. We had talked on and off throughout my career about coming back. And there are times where I had stepped into it, but um, founders have a very um, interesting perspective and it's tough for um, sometimes second generation, unless you really, you really um, have it set up with the personalities and the processes to do that. Uh, but it was more of a family business. He employed a lot of my brothers and sisters. And so I'm very um, business oriented and process oriented. So we would touch on it, but it never really happened. And we both agreed that the time to make it happen would be after he was clearly out of the picture and I would come up and pick up the baton. So he knew I was coming back when he departed this world. And um, there are times I think, wow, I wish I could have worked side by side with him. But I was out, as you mentioned, from my background, I was really out growing my experience bag because I knew if I was going to run a company, I was going to try and learn as much as I could about operations, people, budget. I got my MBA, everything I could. So when I came back, I would be well equipped. Pat, he was a salesman like no other. He had this charisma and that was his, and, 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 and born a salesman and a natural gifted orator, that's what he brought to the table. I knew I was coded very different. And so I wanted to make sure that I, um, I had as much in favor of what I had to bring to the table as possible as he did. So that's kind of what I was doing while, while he was still, um, still in this world. What you're touching on, I think, is something that is important to consider in, in any business. You have the creative side. You have the operations side. Yes. Did he have in the publishing company somebody who could provide the operations part while he was on the road as the orator? Absolutely. He really had a team that was there that, and we published, you know, hundreds and hundreds of books. And then this is before, you know, Amazon and everybody has their own publishing company. He would go out and sell, you know, just lift up a book at these huge stadiums and sell hundreds of thousands of books, not just his books, but he was a big promoter of other people's, um, other people's thoughts and inspirations too. So he would have people back in the home office in, um, at the time, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, while he'd be out on the road, you know, it's the old Michael Gerber. The entrepreneur has to be working on the business, but then you have to have the managers and the technicians working in the business to make it happen. Mm -hmm. We shipped a lot of books all over. And whenever he traveled, I would meet him at events and I'd work the table in the back. And it was just so much fun. So much fun. You made me think about something that that happened when my son was about six, we were doing bulk mailings on letters, marketing letters, and you had to peel off these little stickers and put them on the stack of envelopes that you put a rubber band around. And he said to me, mommy, when you were a little girl, did you do bulk mailing with your mother too? That is precious. And I said, no, I didn't. My mother didn't have a business. Well, why not? I love that. Pat, I mean, he would take us, our family vacations, he had um, a Volkswagen RV camper with a pop-up top, and he would load up six kids, 
books um, and him, my mother and himself. And one summer we traveled from Campbell, Pennsylvania, down to Mexico City, Mexico, stopping all along the way at campgrounds where he'd let the kids camp and then he'd go speak. We'd work the book table and then off to the next place. And he had obviously had a speaking engagement down in Mexico City and right back up. And so we really grew up um, understanding the entrepreneurial thing that work and fun are often very much enmeshed. And so, you know, we'd go on vacations, but that was how he spent time with us. And it was cool because I got to understand customer service. I got to understand cash. I got to understand putting labels on books, packing books in power packs, sticking cassettes in cassette boxes. I mean, and it was, he was really mm -hmm. ahead of his time and so many of those things. And it was so much fun um, getting exposed to that as a young person. So it's kind of funny that I went into big bureaucracies after that, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and didn't jump right into entrepreneurship, but but um, it, it was a wonderful experience. Well, you saw both worlds. I did see both worlds. I needed to see both worlds because I think growing up in one world, I'm like, okay, that's cool. But you know, if there's structures and there's budgets, that's where stuff really gets done. And so I didn't, I, I got to see both sides of it to see the pros and cons of both. Mm -hmm. Now I know at some point you got your doctorate and you prepared your doctoral thesis. Tell us, and you've mentioned your book. Let's make sure that I hold this book up for the people who are watching this on Zoom. This is Spark by Dr. Tracy Jones. And it is a hardcover book with a book jacket. Mm -hmm. Tell our viewers who are watching this on YouTube or our listeners who are listening to this on our audio channels about how you got a doctoral thesis into a book. Because often they're not connected to each other. Mm -hmm. They're written in very different ways. Well, they absolutely are. And um, how I approach the doctoral journey as, as a speaker and as a putter outer of leadership blogs and material, I noticed I was having more and more people in my audience that had a PhD. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to tout myself as a leadership expert, you know, you talked about the continual thirst for knowledge. Um, I thought um, I really should have the terminal degree and it's called a terminal degree. And that makes me laugh because you got to, got to, you know, there are times when you think, Lord, will I make it through this process? Mm -hmm. And I had always, as a little girl, it had always been a dream of mine to get a PhD. I don't know why. I just, I loved learning. I wasn't a particularly good student. I almost flunked out of school several times. So just remember, you can become a better reader. You can become a better thinker. So going in and here it is, here's the, his, and they say PhD stands for piled high and deep. So there you have it. Okay. So I was studying leadership. I love leadership. I love getting a PhD because it taught me how to think. It taught me how to be a wonderful critical thinker, not a critical spirit, but I now tell people, if you can't cite it, don't write it. So it made me much more content rich. It made me figure out what I knew, what truth was, because you really get to drill down and find out and you separate the wheat from the chaff. You separate the motions and the narrative and the opinions from, listen, whatever leadership is or isn't, there is foundational research on leadership and the theory of leadership. And so I wanted to add just one little tiny kernel into that beautiful sea of knowledge. So I did this. Ken Blanchard, Dr. Ken Blanchard was my second reader on this. And I always loved Ken Blanchard and Dr. Blanchard and Dr. Henry Cloud are two of my biggest mentors. And when I look at them, I look at the fact that they are very academic, great thinkers, but Ken's situational theory of leadership is what then 
he was known as a scholar first, and then he went into one minute manager and all the leadership stuff. Same with Henry Cloud. Okay. Great thinkers. But then they took the great knowledge they had and they transcribed it in layman's terms for the rest of us mere mortals that need to know the theory behind leadership, but we're in the trenches where the rubble, rubber meets the road. So they put it in very experiential, pragmatic terms. And so that's really how Spark was born. My dissertation was on crisis leader, the intersection of crisis leadership, followership, and how that affects leadership. And then the theory of motivation, which is self-efficacy, which is a, a $10 word for just how motivated, how all in are you? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I was just fascinated by that. And I said, um, with the book, you know, and I do have, the book is kind of a hybrid. Um, there's a lot of my citations and footnotes in there, but it's written in layman's terms. But I love when I hear somebody speak and tell me your personal experience, but when you have the content, the backing, the research to back it up, that to me is where you get book smarts and head smarts or street smarts together. And that is the most robust type of knowledge because I can know it's knowledge that has been researched and borne out in practice. So that's really what the book I wanted to do. And then I took it and came up with the acronym SPARK um, which is a construct for how you ignite the greatness within. So my whole thesis was on the theory of self-efficacy. And like I said, what is the spark that ignites in you that when the going gets tough, you either get going or you run away. Okay. Mm -hmm. or you adapt or you, or you uh, unlock your in intrinsic resiliency. And so spark is a construct that I built around my doctoral research, my findings in it to help give people a, a diagnostic construct about how they can um, take what I found and, and apply that in their life. Cause the beauty of a PhD is yeah, it's in the body of knowledge, but you want people to be able to take it and apply it because knowledge isn't truly learned until it's actually applied and put to use. And so I looked at the greats like Ken Blanchard and all the great situational leadership theory things that have come out as a result of that and help leaders become leaders. And I thought, no one's going to read my dissertation, maybe my, you know, maybe my chapter uh, four and five kind of thing. But I wanted a book where people could see the findings and apply them to their life. So it sounds to me like you took all of the research that you did, put it into a big blender in your mind and said, all right, here's the pieces that are going to be most directly applicable to people that are going to be most understandable. And here is a model that I can use using the word spark to pull out the key pieces Absolutely. that are part of resiliency. That's exactly what happened. And that's the beauty. And anybody that's out there that's a writer and anybody that's curious or inquisitive, you are at your heart a researcher. So like you, Pat, you connect me with people. You ask questions. You talk to me. You tease things out of me. You, you, you draw threads. And so if your mind works like that, you are an intrinsic researcher, scholar. And if you haven't written a book, you probably got several books already culminating inside of you. So it's a beautiful, you know, you can't have motivation without creating creativity. You know, the whole purpose of this is the Bruce Springsteen song, you can't start a fire without a spark. There has to be that creative point of ignition um, that gets you off and, and going, and then you've got to fuel it. So the book is really about how do you, how do you dial in or drill down to find that one thing where you're going to go, that's it, the epiphany, the, the bubble above your head. And then number two, then what externally has to come into your life to keep the fire's burning because otherwise it burns out. 
so it's kind of this dyadic intrinsic and extrinsic um, thing called life that, that that's why we can't go it alone. And um, that's why nobody can do it for us. We have to bring mm-hmm. our part to the table and other people have to um, come in to support us. And that's where, that's where true greatness happens. And it happens in a sustained way. Well, with that background, you could have gone in many different directions. And it, it sounds like what you've been able to do is to challenge your passion into the publishing company. Does that influence the types of books that you will take on that you'll publish? It does. Well, and, and there's a term in um, motivation called value congruence. And you want to make sure, you know, my convictions are my convictions. Your convictions are your, con- don't mess with somebody's convictions because that is their value system. Okay. And everybody has owned the right to have their own values. So when you have a value congruence where people fall out of love with work or spouses or whatever, Uh, churches, ministries, there's something that you hold dear to your heart that the organization does not. So I really make sure with the company that was executive books, that it became tremendous life books. Now it's tremendous leadership that there is a value congruence in that anything we publish helps you create a more tremendous life. Sometimes it's biographies, autobiographies, poetry, but a lot of it is personal development, people that have um, accepted their own personal agency and they want to become the best version of themselves, be it through sales, communication, ministry, nonprofit work, leadership, you name it. So as long as there's that thread of helping other people achieve the greatest version of themselves, we absolutely would love to talk with them about publishing their manuscript. What advice would you give somebody who's in the process of writing a book based on what you've gone through in writing your own book? Do it daily, every day. I don't care what it is. My first book was four years of my blogging, 400 uh, words every week. And all of a sudden at the end of four years, I'm like, I see the common threads and that was, that was my book. Um, actually, my very first book I wrote with my, I co-authored with my first rescue dog, Mr. Blue. And I wrote the top 10 principles of leadership, true blue leadership, top 10 ways to lead the pack. So wherever your muse comes from, that's another thing that I love dogs as much as I love books and God. So why can't I put learning dog? Why can't my, why can't I write books with my dogs? So I think when, when you're in the creative space, you just get to, you get to bundle this tremendous blend however you want to do it. I would say write every day, even if it's just a paragraph, um, 400 words you can knock out in five minutes. You can. And if you're stuck, be sure as much as you're reading, I'm sorry, writing, you read 10 times that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you are watching TV an hour a day, you better be reading two hours a day. The more you read, the better a writer you are going to become because you're going to see things that are inside of you that you never even know were there that are going to resonate and be called out by what you read. So I would recommend that the greatest writers are prolific readers. The greatest leaders are prolific readers, okay? The greatest givers are prolific, you know, readers too. So I would say really read as much as you can. If you say you don't have time, um, then you're not serious. I don't think about writing a book because um, for all the time we waste on on the nonsensical, non-value added things and all the crap we put in our mind, um, I'd also be sure and really examine your motives for writing a book. A lot of people come to me and say, well, my mom really wants me to write this book. And I'm like, It's like my dad never told me to come back and run the company because 
I would feel compelled to have to do it. So I really get clear with people on, um, it's the old Jim Collins, good to great hedgehog principle. What is the message that you have that the world needs to hear? Focus on that and just drip it out every day like a faucet and then read prolifically because that is going to, it's gonna make you a better writer. It's gonna make you a better thinker. You're gonna learn new words and you're going to get in the flow of what, what a good book is subconsciously. And that's gonna come out when you write. And one thing that I wanted to ask you about before we finish this up is the, that the book that I held up for the people who are on our YouTube channel, which is Pat Iyer, is a hardcover book with a jacket. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the options for softcover books, hardcover books, because in my experience, hardcover books with jackets are, are way less common than softcover books. Thank you. This is the first hardcover with a jacket I've done. Um, some of my children's books are board books or wrap laminated for little kids to hold and put in their mouths and, uh, you know, get icky stuff on. I did this. Um, actually, my cover artist actually designed the dust jacket before I even thought about a hardcover. But now that I look at it, I love the fact that it's a hardcover because it's a beautiful gift book and it's a very special book. It's like a little bolt of lightning. And so I also, Pat, I have the book on Amazon. Okay. So I do logistics too, as the publisher. So I know all sides of this. So I have KDP doing the soft cover. So a lot of people order just directly off Amazon um, KDP. I have the ebook on Amazon. Beautiful. I have the audiobook on ACX. I also recorded the audiobook myself on our website because ACX lately has been taking about six months to get something through the pipeline. Um, I guess they're just very backed up. And then you really have to be with somebody from a good sound technician standpoint that understands to keep all the P's low and the brakes and stuff like that. So I did that, but I ordered um, through an offset printer in the Midwest, I ordered 10,000 copies of my hardcover. Okay. And so those are specialty gifts and I sell them through my site. Um, I also sell them through Ingram and then Ingram sends them to Amazon and to bookstores. So I cover all bases. Mm. So I have it, I have it all different ways. And I tell our authors that we can do, and the beauty is too, Pat, there's so many digital short run printers. Now I just found one in New Jersey. You want to do a digital short run of 500 hardcovers. You can get a pretty good price. So that way, if you are a speaker or you want to gift them, you can do a short print run and not have, you know, 10,000 books sitting in your, in your garage. Like so many of us have seen, seen people yes. going through. So there's so many different options. It's just that KDP won't do a hardcover. But that's okay. There's other people that do it. Um, inch, and it used to have to be um, to get a great price point, you had to print thousands and thousands. Not so. The printing world is completely changed for the better. Do you think it's changed because of the print on demand putting more competition into oh their gosh. world? Absolutely. And you even look at Lightning Source, which was kind of Ingram's print on demand, and they're wrapping it up. So I, I love disruption and I love. <clears throat> excuse me, when people come in and find a, a better cost-effective way to do it, excuse me. So um, I absolutely think, just like publishing, um, there's so many people now that um, 
started their own publishing houses. There are companies that if you have enough followers, why go, why go to somebody else? You can, you can pretty much, it's like for all our project managers out there, there is a science to publishing a book. Okay. It's not, it's not mystical. And I know people, um, sometimes people even come to us with their already self-published book because they want to re-release it. So it can be done. Uh, it just takes time to figure it out. So I think there's just so much other options now with um, the printing press, the inkjet printing, the colors. It's just, technology is a beautiful thing. And, and I love what it's doing because it's giving us so many more options. You've shared great points today, Tracy. I have been enjoying our conversation. I know that our listeners are, are going to want to know how they can find out more about you, the publishing company, the book. What's the best way for them to be able to reach you? Thank you, Pat, for that feedback. Best way to reach me is to go to our website, www.tremendousleadership.com. And um, you can contact us about publishing. You can contact us about our YouTube. We have a Leaders on Leadership podcast. You can even sign up for our email list and get two free weeks of tremendous eBooks. So we have all kinds of wonderful resources on there. And like I said, there's a whole little banner on publishing with us. You can see all our new releases. And you can either get an autographed hardcover of Spark through TremendousLeadership.com, or you can go over to Amazon and you'll get one that's not autographed. It's still nice, but it's not quite as nice. But either way, I, I would just be thrilled. Absolutely. So you can get the ebook, the audio book, the soft cover, or the hardcover. Correct. All possible ways. Yeah, however you want to serve it up. Because I love that people sometimes are working or working out or walking and they want the audio. And that's why we started doing podcasts too. Because, um, you know, people want to have something going on. It's such an intimate thing to have somebody actually talking in your head or speaking to you. And I love all these Zoom calls where I get to see my heroes like up close and personal rather than way back on a stage. It's really, it's really cool. It's a different kind of community. Tell our listener the name of your podcast. Tremendous Leadership. Okay. And it's on iHeart, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, everywhere. And it's a tremendous leadership channel. And we have Leaders on Leadership, where I interview leaders from all over the world about what it took them to pay the price of leadership. I also have books that I recommend that, to, that would um, really uh, up their game. And then lastly, we do Throwback Thursday, where we go into my father's archives and we bring something out to reintroduce the world to Tremendous. Wow. And you do all that and you're married and you take care of two dogs, three dogs, <laughs> three, dogs. three dogs and four cats. Yeah. And four cats. <laughs> Sounds like a busy life, Tracy. It is. It's a, it's a busy and a blessed life. I like being busy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And thank you to you who has just spent a half an hour with us with Tracy Jones, the author of Spark a book that will inspire you and motivate you. She sent me a copy to read and I got nuggets from every page and I know that you will too. Be sure to tell other friends about Writing to Get Business podcast and encourage them to listen and stay tuned for our next show. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business and I'd like you to meet Nancy Matthews who is one of the founders of Women's Prosperity Network, and is the author of The One Philosophy. The third edition has been released in February 2021. 
Nancy, please give our viewer just a taste of what we covered in your podcast. Absolutely, Pat. And boy, was it a juicy episode. I didn't realize how many ways I've been able to take writing content material that's inside my my area of expertise and repurpose it and monetize it over and over again. So we talked about my very first uh, compilation book I created that was sparked by a financial goal I was trying to reach in just 30 days. So tune in to learn more about that. Um, Subsequent um, five other compilation books that I put together, a course that I created from uh, a book that was in public domain, uh, turning that into an audio and written course, as well as what's happening around my most recent release, the One Philosophy Third Edition, and a brand new membership platform that's launching with it. So if you want to know how to take that knowledge that you have share it with others and make some good money along the way, join us. Be sure to get Nancy Matthews podcast as we talk about all of the multiple ways in which she has personally taken her knowledge and created products, including books, but also courses and membership sites. Lots of good tips in this show, so be sure to catch it. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.